I think this morning's topic is one of the most difficult topics to talk about. Um, you might not think that. It's far easier to deal with thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ as God than thinking about him as a man. I mean, I've tried to say to you in the first talk how important this subject is. The incarnation is so important. Second talk, I tried to deal with the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And I gave you a sheet with lots of verses on I hope you've perhaps looked at some of that and thought about it and meditated on it. Um, but today I'm going to try and think about the Lord Jesus Christ as a man. Now why, why is it difficult? Why do I, I say that? Because people go wrong on this subject more than they go wrong on the Lord Jesus Christ as God. And um, I'm conscious this morning that if anybody listens to um, this, as I know some people will, I've got friends that listen to this. And uh, I know that I say things that are wrong this morning. It's just the nature of the subject in a way. It's way beyond us, as I was saying. How can the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour, how can he have a, a finite consciousness as a man, like you or me, limited in knowledge, and yet at the same time, how can he have a divine consciousness, knowing all things? I mean... How can it be? Now it can only be, folks, because God has made it so. And we accept it. But when you came to come to talk about it, and you say, well, how do the two fit together? You know, the, the human nature of Christ and the divine nature. Because it's one person we're talking about this morning. We're not talking about two people. We're talking about one person. And that's the nature of the incarnation, that the word became flesh. God became flesh. So how, how does it gel? Now it's no good to say, oh well, this bit is God and this bit is man. Because sometimes we read the Bible like that and the Gospels like that and we say, oh, well, this bit is he's God and this bit is man. But no, it's one person. It's one person. The Lord Jesus Christ. And if you look at history, you'll find that people go wrong because they'll stress one of these more than the others. And most error occurs like that. It's where we put the stress. So in the early days of Christianity, um, <clears throat> um, it was, well, he can't quite be God, can he? If he's a man, he, quite, he can't quite be God, you see. And that was one of the errors that the human side was stressed more than the divine side. And then other people came along. I can, I'll, I'll, the, the chap who did this was a bloke called Apollonius. And he said, well, he can't, he can't quite be man. So the man part really must be God. So that's, that's the spirit. He can't really quite be, be man, you see. So the God bit stressed more than the man. And then someone else comes along, a chap called Nestorius, and um, they say, well, there are two bits of them, really. There's this bit, and there's the divine bit, and then there's this bit, and they're separated. And 
all these are they go wrong because intellectually we can't we can't fathom it it can't really be dealt with now I want to come to fast forward now and I want to say before I get into my talk what's the point of it? you should be thinking what's it there's it going what's the point of it right now I'm going to give you the point of it and it's so important it's important for us to consider this morning the Lord Jesus Christ as a man because we need him desperately as a man not only as our saviour if there was no man God can't die if there was no man dying for us folks we'd be lost in our sins God had to provide a man this is what the point of this morning is if you go to your, open your Bibles chapter 8 of Romans chapter 8 of Romans and verse 3 look what it says I'll, I'll, I'll read from verse 1 there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death now this is the verse for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do folks without Christ coming in the flesh there's no salvation because man you and me cannot keep the law there had to be a man who could there had to be a man who could by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh not that he was a sinner but in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh if sin was going to be dealt with there had to be a man who would deal with sin not only that not a man like you and me there had to be a perfect man a man that kept God's law perfectly do you see the importance of this subject go wrong on this subject go wrong on the incarnation and I'm back to my first talk and it all falls apart there has to be a man and God provided that man for us in the Lord Jesus Christ so that's the point of this morning I've got some simple points. I've tried to make it simple this morning for my own sake and your sake. And let's deal with the first point. A man in life. Now perhaps, no, I'll go back a bit. Perhaps I ought to think about this just before we start. Some people came along and said this. Well, he looks like a man. You read the Gospels. He looks like a man. He walks like a man. He talks like a man. He sleeps like a man. He, he looks, but he's not. He only appears to be a, a man. You know, a bit like those angels in the Old Testament who, who visited the earth. They appeared to be a man. He, he looked like he wasn't really. Oh no, we must be clear on this. He was a man. He had a man's body. A baby. Grew. 
Luke 2 says, doesn't it? He grew in stature and in wisdom. He developed. He developed physically. He was tired. Sat by the well at... He was thirsty. Give me a drink. He was asleep in the boat. We all know this. He was a man. He was a... Who touched me? He had the senses of a man. He was a man. He had a mind of a man. I know it was a man that didn't sin. And it was a... So therefore, a wonderful mind in that sense. But he had a mind of a man. So when he's facing Satan in the temptations, he uses his mind. It is written. He knew the scriptures, you see. In his mind. In his consciousness. In his awareness. He had the mind of him. When he was in, going to Gethsemane, um, he was like a man. He wanted company. There he was going to suffer. And he was... He was broken with it. He was in desperate prayer about the matter, wasn't he? God, if it's been possible, take this from me. He was a man. He didn't want it. What did he do? He took some disciples with him. Peter, James and John. He wanted a man. A man. He wanted the company. Of course, they slept, didn't they? I could go through this. Yes, physically he was a man. And it's interesting, this talk I was going to do on the Lord's body. If you read the scriptures, it comes time and time again about his body. And you'll be interested, I finish up this today. I didn't realise the importance of the Lord's body. The word body comes up so much. But he had the mind of a man. He had the emotions of a man. He was angry. Angry. Really annoyed. Takes a whip and starts beating people. He was frustrated. Do you remember when they're bringing the children to, to the Lord and the disciples didn't want it? He was frustrated with them. He stood by a grave and he wept. Don't tell me he wasn't a man in his emotions. Now you say, Nigel, why are you emphasising this? I'm emphasising this pastorally this morning. In all your failure and weakness and frustrations and difficulties, go to the Lord. He knows all about it. He was a man. The scripture says that most clearly. He had, we read it. He had to be made like his brethren. So that he might represent them as a high priest know all about them. So when you go in your failure he knows all about it. He's been there. Yes, he's a man in his body. He's a man in his mind. He's a man in his spirit. He's a man in his emotions. I could develop this. People have written articles, good articles on the emotions of the Lord. The Lord loved. The Lord felt. The Lord cried. The Lord was a man. But he was a man in life. This is my first point. And I want to turn to a scripture. Can you turn to Hebrews chapter 10? Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> And if you 
turn to verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body, a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, behold, I have come to do your will as a man as a man just what you and me can't do he came to do it as it is written of me in the scroll of the book if you keep your finger there and you go to Psalm 40 because that's a quotation from Psalm 40 you might say oh Nigel that doesn't quite work Psalm 40 and you go verse 6 in sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, and that's exactly the same, but you've given me an open ear. Oh, Nigel, you've just read the body you've prepared for me. And yet it says in the Hebrew, but you've given me an open ear. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? Do you get difficulties when you study the Bible? Of course you do. If you don't, there's something wrong. So here it is in the Hebrew. All right? You've given me an open air, ear, or literally, it is, you've dug my ear. So, well, what have people said about that? A body you've prepared for me. Well, the quotation from Hebrews is from the Septuagint. That's the Greek translation of the Hebrew, done about 200 years before Christ. Right, they, they did a... Because Greek was the language that was being spoken about all the world, spoken all over the world, they did this translation, um, and it's called the Septuagint. It's called that because the 70 people are supposed to have done it. So why did they translate, you've dug my ear, you've opened my ear, as you've prepared a body for me? Well, some people say, oh, well, the Hebrew must be wrong and the Hebrew's being corrupted. That's what some people say. I don't think that's true. Some people say, ah, oh, you see in the Hebrew, you dug my ear, means, do you remember I spoke about this to the children some time ago? It means, um, you know, when a servant has been a slave for a year, so many years, after, was it six years he was, or seven years, I've forgotten, he was allowed to go free. But if he'd married, they couldn't go with him. So what he could do, he could actually have his ear, put a hole through, and he would belong, serve the master for always. Do you remember that? I spoke about that. And some people say, well, what he's saying in the Hebrew is, you've dug my ear, that's an idiom, that's a Hebrew idiom, meaning you, you've become a servant. I've become a servant, which is the same as a body you've prepared, you see. It's just a, another way of putting it. That's what some people say. Uh, they might be right, I don't know. The, the Lord is spoken. In, he, in Isaiah 50, it, it says, um, I have the you know, ear of a disciple. Do you remember that when it says that? An ear of a disciple, it means a servant. Well, I, this is what I think. Might be wrong. I think it's a, what they call a figure of speech. It's called synecdoche. It's a figure of speech meaning the part for the whole. Look, all hands on deck. All right. I don't chop your hands. No, no. If I say give me a hand, chop, give me a hand. I don't want, I want all of you. It's an key. A part, speaking for the whole. Well, you've dug my ear. 
right? You brought meaning the whole. You see, I think it's a form of synecdoche, saying that the ear represents the whole. So a body you have prepared, particularly in the light of a body you've prepared, do you get the point? That will obey your will. Do you get the message here? That was the whole point of that from, from um, Psalm 40, that I will do your will. And how do you know the will of God? Through the ear. Okay, so that's what I think. But that point is, it's a body you have prepared for me. So the Lord Jesus Christ came in life to live. And what a life it was, folks. Look, I can't, I, I'm not the person I was. I can't remember these lives. Look, he did no sin. That's what it says. Is it, is it 2 Corinthians says that? Or John says, the letter of John says, there was no sin in him. I think Peter says, he did no sin. He knew no sin. What amazing statements they are, aren't they? Look, who could say that? The Lord Jesus Christ turns to his enemies right, and says this. Which one of you can commit me of sin? Yeah, I mean, I know it's if I said to you, tell me my thoughts. <laughs> and I'll tell you, oh yes, we know each other's thoughts. But he could say, which one of you can be, no, not a word, not a word. What a life. Spoke when he should speak, didn't speak when he shouldn't speak, comforted when he should comfort, rebuked when he should rebuke, always obeyed the will of God, It says in Hebrews, speaking about him as a high priest, it speaks about him being holy, innocent, undefiled. 726. 726. I can't turn these pages over. Real problems. Holy, innocent, undefiled. Look, listen to this, for it's fitting that we should have such a high priest. Listen, holy, innocent, unstained, a life unstained, separate from sinners. That's the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Under all kinds of temptation, a direct tax from Satan, living amongst men, living in this sinful world, holy, innocent, unblemished. And that reminds me of that word, um, I think my translation I use personally has the word unblemished rather than unspotted. It reminds me of the Old Testament and the sacrifices. Before you sacrificed your offering, it had to be examined. The priest would look at it. Is there any fault in it? Is it perfect? Only if it was perfect would it be sacrificed. And the Lord was examined and his life was perfect. Look, folks, if there's no perfect life, there's no salvation because the sacrifice would not be accepted. If there's no perfect life, 
there's no priesthood because the high priest that we go to is perfect he had to be made like his brethren turn back to the reading and let's just read Hebrews 2 verse 14 Hebrews 2 14 since therefore the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery for surely it's, it's not angels that it helps but it helps the offspring of Abraham therefore he had to be made like his brethren in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people listen he was perfect he lived the perfect the perfect life since then we have a high priest who has passed this is Hebrews 4 passed through the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold fast our confession we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weakness I love that hymn we sang our faith is feeble it said yes it is but we have one who sympathises with us but one who is in every respect being tempted as we are yet without sin this is Hebrews 4 verse 15 yet without sin the man in life what about the man in death the man in death well we know the principle without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness my friends if there's no body there's no death there's no judgment of God you're in your sins there has to be a death therefore there has to be a man in death without the body there's no redemption without the body there's no reconciliation and this comes over time and time again. Let's look at Hebrews again. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10 while we're in Hebrews. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. I've got to rush on. Hebrews 10, verse 10. Hebrews 10, verse 10. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body, the body of Jesus Christ, once and for all once and for all look at 19 therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy place or enter the holy places what by the blood of Jesus you see the body of Jesus the death of Jesus the death of Jesus 1 Peter 2 24 says this he himself bore our sins in his body to the tree without the Lord being a man there is no sacrifice for sin folks there's no cross there's no death for your sins. There's no peace with God. If you've got peace with God this morning, it's because the one who came and died on the cross for your sins. You can sing this morning, wounded for me, wounded for me. There on the cross, he was wounded for me. Gone my transgressions, now I'm free. All because Jesus was wounded for me. See, without the body, you couldn't sing that. You'd be still in your sins. 
There had to be the word was made flesh. There had to be a body. There had to be the perfect mind to live the perfect life. And there had to be the man that would bear our sins on the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ. So the man in death. So we've had the man in life, the man in death. Now what about the man in the grave? I want to go to John 19. John 19. Is the body important in death? Now I've got to be careful this morning. I've got some convictions and I, I, I am probably going to say them. But I've got to say them carefully. But you know, the body's important. When someone dies, the body's important. The body's important. It was doubly important with the Lord Jesus Christ, the man in death. It's important with us. We don't mistreat the body when someone's died. We care for the body. We do. So what happened? What was going to happen to that body? What happened to the body of the people on either sides? Do you know? Do you think they cared about that body? I think, I think most people think, most people that were crucified, the bodies, would end up in the rubbish heap of Jerusalem. Yeah. Just thrown in there. And that's where the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ would have wanted the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a, there was a burning rubbish tip in Jerusalem. Continually burning. It was called Gehenna. Well, let's read these words. These are precious words to me. So, 20 and 39. There were two people that had... Oh dear again. I just can't turn these pages over. There we are. So 28. No, uh, let's see. I've not got the right ones, have I? No, let's have a look. John 19. Have a look. John 19 and verse 38. Yes. After these things, Joseph of Arathamia is a secret disciple who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, aloes, sorry, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices. This is the way they did it in their culture, as was the burial custom of the Jews. Now actually this is very important, because do you remember when they came to the tomb and they looked inside, Peter was it, or John, he saw the separate, the, they wrapped around the body and then they wrapped around the head in a separate cloth. Do you remember he saw them separately? <laughs> it hit him, but they were there separately, these these um, cloths that were wrapped around. By the way, you can still see this with that Arab today. If you see in the Middle East how people are buried, you'll see them wrapped in cloth. Now in that place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And the garden was a new tomb in which no one had been laid. So because it was the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. They thought ahead. They cared for the body. 
Now, of course, the women couldn't do it. Now, it was a job normally for women to do it, but they were going to come and do it, but they couldn't. So these two men did it. They cared for the body. They cared for the body. So, what an important thing to care for the body. I'm going to turn to a psalm now. And I'm going to say this, without the caring for the body, were these words true of the Lord Jesus Christ in the psalm? Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to shale or the grave. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You see, there's that wonderful promise there in the psalm concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, folks, I cannot understand. I'll confess this. You might not like what I'm going to say now. I cannot understand how Christians in the last six, last hundred years have gone down the route of cremation. I cannot understand it. The image is clear. You sow the body. Read Corinthians 15. You sow the body. That which you sow is corruption will be raised incorruptible. That which you sow in weakness will be raised in power. That which you sow in natural body will be raised a spiritual body. The imagery is clear. You must not destroy the images. The images are so important. Anyway, they cared for the body. They cared for the body. Pagans will don't care for the body. They cared for the body. The man in the grave. The man in the grave. But what about the second thing now? We must go on to the man in resurrection and turn to Luke 24. Luke 24. Luke 24. And verse 36. Luke 24. As, as they were talking about these things, do you remember the People on the road to Emmaus had come back and told them that they'd seen the Lord. But Jesus stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. And they were startled and frightened and thought they'd seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do your doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still uh, disbelief, disbelief for joy and were marvelling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. The body in resurrection. The resurrection body. It's interesting this, isn't it? You know, touch me and see, but yet to Mary, stop clinging to me because I haven't ascended. It's interesting, isn't it? A resurrection body. Friends, because the man was raised, you'll be raised. It says in Corinthians um, that here's the first fruits. The first fruits. But after, then comes those that is coming. They'll be raised. 
I'll be raised. We will be raised because the man was raised. Listen, if there's no resurrection, there's no acceptance with God. If there's no resurrection, there's no justification, no being declared righteous before God. That's Romans 4. The man in resurrection. Now, we're not going to go on to what the resurrection body is like, and what Christ is like, and how is ours going to be similar. There's lots of things we could discuss. The point is, the man was raised. The man was raised. And the man is in glory. The man is in glory. Look at Acts. Go to Acts 1, verse 11. Acts 1, verse 11. Now remember, as they stood, he, he left them, didn't he? And the angels round about, they said this. Well, what did they say? Now, if you've been brought up on the AV, you're going to say it immediately, this, what, what comes next? This. Come on. There they are. There they are. He's going up in the clouds and the angels say to them this. Well, it's not going to say that. In this, that's the, what it says here, you see. This, I'm going to get this word out of you. Right, um, so as they were looking around, verse 11, men of Galilee, this is Acts chapter 1, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heavens? This, ah, yeah, what does it say in the AV? Ah, oh, do you know, it's interesting. <laughs> it says this, this same Jesus. Now, actually, same is not there. Interesting enough, it's not there. This is more a better translation. But the AV translators wanted to emphasise that it was the same Jesus that would return. Now, how will he return? This Jesus that they saw, the man Jesus they saw, the same Jesus will return in glory and power. Now, John says this, we know that when he appears, we shall see him, come on, because we shall see, yeah, we shall see him as he is. We'll be like him. We'll, we'll have changed bodies. We'll be resurrected. Now, I want, this is important, this. Look, turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. And because there's a lot of debate about what kind of humanity does the Lord have in the heavens? Because we, when we're talking about the Lord as a man, we're talking about huma his humanity. And, but this is a help to me. I mean, a lot of these things I just don't know, and I, I, all the arguments are beyond me. But I do know this. It says this clearly. Verse 20. And all the politics of today, this is what you should be thinking about, folks. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, or our, the AV says our, hum, our vile body. I don't think that's, a, in their day, perhaps that was, they understood that. I think a good translation is our, our humble body. Our humble body. Our lowly body. To be like his, what does it say? What kind of body has he got now? A glorious body. He's got a glorious body. Now how can that be? How can be in the heavens? Flesh and blood, it says, cannot inherit the immortal. 
How can... Well, it's a glorious body. It's a glorious body. And you have a hint of it in Revelation. Do you remember the Lord appears there amongst the churches in, in chapter 1? And it's a, that vision is an unbelievable vision of this body, what the Lord is like. So it's a glorious body. And when he comes in power and in glory, and we'll be changed and caught up to meet him in, this, in the clouds, we'll have a body like his, folks. A glorious body. A glorious body. So the man in glory. There is somebody. There is humanity. At the heart of the Godhead. Can you imagine this? There is humanity there now. Perfect humanity. Glorious humanity. See, the incarnation. People say, oh, it's about, it's about God laying it, you know, you know um, he laid aside his glory. And that's true in one sense, to become a man. But you know, in another sense, he took on something. The incarnation is really about God taking on humanity. This is way, way beyond us, isn't it? That in the heavenly places, there is a glorious man. There is humanity. Remember that, folks, as you pray. In the Godhead. So there's a man in glory. I'm just going to finish now with, what about us? Thinking about this man. Well, the scriptures are most, why do we meet? Okay, we've met this morning to praise God, to think about the Lord Jesus Christ, to sing hymns, to listen to some songs that exalt the name of Jesus to listen to a sermon was it like that in the New Testament times you say well I don't think it was like this at all I think this is something we've developed Corinthians 11 you read it probably every month at least once as a, as a church ever thought about it when you assemble as a church is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? I'm quoting. So what did they gather for? Now it was a meal. Looking at the scriptures, most people think they met and had a meal and they remembered the, whatever time of the, in that meal they did it, but they remembered. And what did they remember? Did they listen to sermons? Well, probably the Paul came one, spoke all right and discussed all right with them. They probably did have talks. They, they probably did sing hymns, right? but probably not in a structured way like we do. But what did they essentially meet for? Now, this is perhaps a surprise for you this morning. It was not to listen to sermons they didn't meet for. They did not meet to sing hymns. They met to remember the body. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body. Now, this morning, you should be here to think about the man who came in a body. The man who was a real man. The man that lived the life that you cannot live. The man that died the death that you cannot die. The man that was in the grave and was resurrected. The man who is glorious in humanity now. The man that's coming again in power and in glory. This is 
my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Ever thought about it? This great emphasis on the life, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'm finished. What about you? Are you resting on this man? This glorious man? The one that became a man for you? Resting on him? Trusting him? Giving your life to him? Not religion. Him, the man. How we need him. Horatius Bonner wrote this. Not a hymn, he wrote a poem. On merit, not my own I stand. On doings which I have not done. Merit beyond which I can claim. Doings more perfect than I have done. Then this verse. I heard this verse at Strip Baptist Chapel, Biggleswade, many years ago. And I've, I've never forgotten it. And I've looked it up and it's this, the next verse that follows. Upon a life I have not lived. Upon a death I have not died. Another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. Folks, if the Lord Jesus Christ had not come to man, we would still be in our sins. Amen.